This is Mom Squad Pod, your weekly update on tips, tricks, and all things parenting with Maureen Kyle. This idea of emotional intelligence doesn't mean you're the nicest person on the planet. Right. It, you know, it really means that you can manage all the emotions, the, the easy ones, the hard ones, the good ones, and the bad ones. Mm-hmm. And that I think is the hardest lesson to teach our kids is that you are not always going to feel good. Hi, everyone, and thanks so much for tuning in to the very first ever Mom Squad Pod. It's our podcast that is talking about everything parenting. And I wanted to start off with this topic, emotional intelligence. And it's because we've just been talking about everything from are my kids learning throughout the pandemic year and are they going to score well on the standardized tests, but it's also the social aspect that we've been so worried about. So one of the people who inspired me to do this podcast is Dr. Kim Bell with the Hannah Perkins Center. And Kim, it's because every time I talk to you, I want to run the whole interview. Everything is, it's just everything we need as a parent. And I think this emotional intelligence topic is just so timely because we're wondering why our kids' behavior is this, or why are they not sitting still? And why are they, I kind of got introduced to emotional intelligence when I was I have an emotional oldest child and I was looking into like, how can I help my child who is a little bit more emotionally inclined? So, so first of all, thanks for doing this. And I'm excited. I think this will be fun. And Mm -hmm. I think that this will help so many parents out there. And if anybody hasn't heard of emotional intelligence, can you explain what it is? Uh, Sure. I, you know, I think it's, it's a word that was created to, um, to, to actually, demonstrate how important one's ability to manage their emotional state is. And so in the academic world, it was really created as one of multiple types of intelligence. So that intelligence isn't just the stuff you know or the things you can do, it really is your ability to manage your own emotions. And so to give it the importance that we really felt it needed, academia kind of attached the word intelligence to it. So it's a, it's a bigger part, it's a part of a bigger scheme of um, different types of intelligence. And what does it affect? I mean, we're talking about not just, you know, all, all, the, right? <laughs> all the things, it, it affects all the things. It really, it allows us to, um, it allows us to focus. It allows us to be in what we call a, a neutral emotional state. And we'll, we'll talk about that when it comes to, you know, why it's important kind of in order to go to school. Because if we are constantly overwhelmed with our emotions, if we cannot identify them, manage them, work through them, then we don't have a lot of energy to focus on anything else, having good conversations, focusing in school, paying attention, uh, it, it, it drains a lot of energy if you can't manage the emotions that you experience. And another reason why I wanted to do this, I mean, my parents are high school teachers, and they said with the advancement of technology, how all of the kids are just plugged into their phones at all time, they've noticed that kids are really losing that ability to have relationships and conversations, which then in turn, like as they go out into the adult world, if they don't know that the the social and emotional intelligence, then how are they going to get a job? I mean, this really, I feel like all of this affects adults later on in life. Mm -hmm. So, so let's start with, you know, I feel like that's one of those, it starts at home. So, and, and it starts early. 
take us through some of the ages that we can really start to teach and hone in on emotional intelligence. Okay, so day one, really. Mm-hmm. So but birth. It, yeah, <laughs> birth, birth, really birth, infancy. Uh, and, I, and I think if I can just sort of put in a caveat is I think the conversations that we have are so, are so great and I always enjoy them. But I, whenever I talk about child development, we, you can't help but talk about it from the most typical lane possible. Mm-hmm. And I don't want anybody who's listening who has a child who might be neuroatypical, maybe on the spectrum, mm-hmm. maybe um, has some kind of developmental delay to feel like this isn't a conversation for them. Mm-hmm. I, I, always, I always wanna worry about that. My background is in developmental disabilities and, um, and every person has to go through these stages. Every person has to, to the best of their ability, master these. If for some reason, due to circumstances, be them cognitive or whatever, they have a, a stronger trouble, a bigger trouble mastering some of these tasks, uh, then they need a little more outside help to to manage them. But I, I don't like to exclude people from that conversation because they feel like, well, my child isn't developing typically, therefore somehow this doesn't apply. It really, it does apply because it helps parents to, I think understanding how emotions develop in children helps parents to see how important all the day-to-day interactions are. Mm-hmm. Whether you you know have a lot of resources financially or otherwise, or you don't have a lot of resources, or you have a child who has specific difficulties uh, or challenges, these these are the things you're working on. And you either need a little more help, you need to be a little more intentional, you need to be a little more creative, but it can be done regardless of of the situation. So it includes kids on the spectrum as well. Everybody. Yeah. Okay. Everybody. Yeah, all the humans. <laughs> so yeah. <laughs> um, so okay. So we want to start in infancy. You kind of want to start there. Start with when? Yeah, the baby. I, I of course we all wanted to make sure our kids were doing tummy time and recognizing shapes and and yep. what what else should we be doing with their emotions? Mm-hmm. I think that's the hardest emotional phase, and I still have one going through it where she's not able to use her words because she just doesn't have the the background and the vocabulary yet. Yes. So, so the first thing is, uh, you know, I was kind of thinking, well, what are the big challenges? The thing, infancy is one of my favorite stages, um, actually, to to study and to look at, because there is so much going on every minute of every day. Every experience is a new experience, and the more experiences are repeated over and over and over again, patterns develop. Um, nonverbal memories develop, habits develop, these, I'm using some basic words, but that's the idea for neural development. And when parents are choosing when to let their child cry and when to let their, when, when to pick up their infant and use yourself, that's what you're doing. You're taking your emotional intelligence and you are loaning it to your child. When you pick them up and you hold them and you soothe them and you speak softly to them, And what their body is learning is that emotions come and get big and then emotions get small and then emotions come and get big and then emotions get small. And at that stage, emotions are things like discomfort, hunger, tired, you know, there's no verbal word for that, but the experience is there. And so as we intuitively allow our child to slowly spend more time managing that for themselves, 
whether you're busy in the kitchen and your infant starts to cry and you're like, okay, they can manage for just a few seconds before I finish this task and then I will go pick them up and soothe them. And we start to slowly notice that our infants start to cry and then they stop. They start to cry and then they stop. And then we work on nighttime routine. And so I think a lot of times parents are like, okay, nighttime routine. All I know is that they're supposed to be able to do this themselves. And I think, you know, you, you, the picture I always have is the mom sitting on the floor outside the bedroom door going, I'm supposed to wait, I'm supposed to wait, I'm supposed to wait. And kind of wondering what the right thing is to do. And I think for me with parents, and I'll use moms kind of interchangeably, but understand that this is whoever's taking care of the child, right? Whoever the primary person is who's taking care of the child. Sorry about that. It's going to make a noise. Um, that you know, that person has to trust their relationship with their child. You know intuitively what it sounds like when your child has run out of resources. When you think to yourself, this child is, is beyond the point of being able to soothe themselves. That's when you go in. That's when you go in and say, okay, they've done the best they could. And it will just happen slowly, slowly and gradually. And so if you can, in your mind, understand that what you're doing by allowing that child to have small bearable bits of time where you're waiting for them to be able to self-soothe, we hear that word a lot, you're building emotional intelligence. You're building the capacity to know experientially that emotions come and emotions go. Mm -hmm. yeah. And quite frankly, the seeds of taking care of oneself. When you're hungry, you eat, you feel better, right? Taking care of your body so it's not in a state of discomfort. Yeah, that's all happening in infancy. So when do they start to to learn that for themselves? Like when should I, I'm just thinking, you know, I my daughter's a couple months away from being three and we're having trouble at nighttime where she I mean, with potty training. She thinks she wants to go. She knows she can get out of her bed and, and go potty. And so she is having these meltdowns at night and then there's yelling and then there's, you know, there's all the all those right. times where I'm wondering, well, should she know this or, or what should I be coddling her a little bit more? Mm -hmm. So the other thing to understand, we can talk about this as if it's a very stepwise, nice sort of slope into, into some sort of mastery, but different things happen at different developmental phases where you'll see progress and then it'll be like, whoop, yeah. and then there's more progress. And that has a lot to do with their level of awareness. So for the infant, we're dealing a lot with biology. For the toddler, we're dealing a lot with self-control where you're gonna find yourself with toddlers. And so toddlers, let's say, it, it could depend on the child, but let's just call it somewhere around two, right? Maybe whatever, 13 months to three. During that time where you're teaching wait, wait to use the bathroom, stop yourself, no, I do it myself. All of these little things are self-regulation and deal with emotional intelligence. They don't have to be in school to learn that. They don't even need to be around other kids at this point to know that it's the interaction with the parents. It's the me do it, I can do it. And a lot of the words I use with toddlers are things like, what can we do while you wait? That delayed gratification is a huge part of emotional intelligence. But then we get to three and from three to elementary school, so preschool, kindergarten years, things change a lot because a lot of the old worries come to the surface 
because they are relying less and less on their caregivers for that internal stuff, right? If they're going off to preschool, they have to remember everything they've learned from their caregivers, from mom and dad all day long or half the day or for an hour and a half, whatever that might be, they have to do it all by themselves. And that's exhausting. And so a lot of times at night, there are two things going on. They're, they're out of resources by the time nighttime comes and they need a little bit extra because they've gone through the whole day trying to be their own little human being and manage these big feelings that they're having. The other thing is that cognitively, like intellectually, they're in a place where they know that other relationships exist. The world doesn't stop turning when they go to bed. Mom and dad are watching TV, you know, or mom has a friend over or on the phone. And there is this huge feeling of missing out. You know, I, I've had kids. Yeah, I, I have had kids who like their first real experience of something like Halloween. That's one of my favorite stories is I've had kids who have said that they think Halloween is every night. Oh, wow. And so they go every, every night after they go to bed, the adults go out and get candy and do fun stuff. And just this one night a year, you're allowed to go out and do it too. And so after Halloween, there's always this surge of kids who don't want to go to bed. Oh my gosh, I never even thought about that. Right? Yeah, because their little minds are like, yeah, but you guys go do fun things after I go to bed all the time. I, you know, I'm not allowed to wander around the neighborhood at dark. So as they, as they have more complex ideas about relationships, their emotional intelligence has to make a huge shift. And that's really what's happening between the ages of three. And I mean, there's lots of other stuff, but for our purposes, that's one of the important things that's happening between say three and five, six, that, that can cause this sort of feeling of, wait, I had this really well-adjusted child. Or parents might also come to us and say, but my child has been in daycare since eight weeks or 12 weeks or whatever you know it might have been. And all of a sudden they're going off to preschool and having separation anxiety. How is that possible? It's because the child you're sending off to preschool is not the same child that you had in, in, in a daycare setting. They are, they are missing you more. They are thinking about you more. They're worried about not remembering. They're worried about being able to do all the things while they're away from you that, that they're used to you doing. There's this lovely story about a little girl who is away from her mother for the first time at school and she's walking down the stairs of the school and she's got her hand on the rail for safety and out loud she's saying hold on to the rail hold on to the rail hold on to the rail because it's not enough to have her inside voice telling her she needs to to imagine hearing her mother saying those words right so it's the outside voice and the inside voice yeah but i I will have to say, you know, I, I started to really get deep into researching on uh, emotional intelligence, reading books when my oldest went to school because I could handle everything at home and they were in daycare and preschool settings, but it was when they had to have relationships with other kids in class. And then there was, you know, mean things said or hurt feelings. That I will say was probably for me harder than the newborn years because all of a sudden it was outside factors that I couldn't control. And yeah. I had to teach my daughter how to deal with that emotionally so that she would want to go back to school. And so really for me, 
the emotional intelligence of school age kids has been really tricky to figure out and how to explain it where I'm not saying that somebody else is a bully and where I'm not saying it so that that she um, feels like her her feelings are wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, so I really want to get into that school age kid. Yes, please, because to me that has just been the hardest. Yeah, it well, it's difficult because every family manage their manages their emotions differently, and so in again, I think what here's 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 what I try to say to kids. This is the most neutral thing I can think of to say, which is everybody is working on something. Mm-hmm. Everybody is working on something. And if somebody is mean to you, they're having a trouble. You know, I, I try to building sort of that empathy without um, saying, be a, you know, be a doormat or, or whatever. Okay. And it's also okay if you're, you know, your feelings are hurt. Mm-hmm. It's okay. It's okay to make a lot of different choices. It's okay to choose not to play with somebody. You know, one of the things in our Hannah Perkins school that we really work on is when it, we, we work on children being able to go up to other children and saying, can I play with you? And if that other child says no, then we work on how do you accept a no? Like you, you have to be able to accept when your feelings are hurt, what else can you do? This, this isn't about you. This is just how this person is feeling right now because we want it to be okay for kids to say no mm-hmm. as well. We don't, you know, this idea of emotional intelligence doesn't mean you're the nicest person on the planet. Right. It, you know, it really means that you can manage all the emotions, the, the easy ones, the hard ones, the good ones, and the bad ones. Mm-hmm. And that I think is the hardest lesson to teach our kids is that you are not always going to feel good. So where do we start at home? I mean, where, where do I sit that child down and, and say, okay, you know, we're, we're going to start with, <laughs> I know I wouldn't say this, like, we're going to start with relationships, but mm-hmm. you know, where, what is the, the most, um, I don't know, is there a most important feeling or emotion to manage for kids at that point? I I wish I could tell you there was one because they're all so important. You know, I don't know that it's necessarily something that you have to do intentionally unless you have a very sensitive child Mm -hmm. or your child's temperament is very different than your own. You know, like if parents clash a little bit, like you may have a parent that's very laid back and a child that's very anxious um, just by nature. And so that needs a little special attention. And, but first of all, being aware of it. So that if your child sees you and your partner arguing, that that is not considered something that doesn't happen, but that you and your partner are really working hard to argue well, right? We don't wanna fight, we wanna argue. If you're arguing, if you're debating, if you are having a difference of opinion, your children are gonna be observing how you work through that. And if you are a single parent, then they're going to observe it in, in whatever social interactions that you have. So if you are yelling, they're going to yell. If you, you know, if they get angry and you get angrier trying to, you know, just get peace and quiet in the house, then it, they, they learn to escalate, you know. But if they get loud and you get calm, then you're teaching them how to be, how to calm down in the face of a lot of excitement and how to teach them how to take time to walk away when you know it's time to take a break. This feeling is too big. That's a huge word for even for elementary kids. You know what, this feeling has gotten too big. We all need to take a break. Mm-hmm. What can we do to calm down and then come back and talk about it? 
-hmm. you know, it, and so a lot of how they manage disagreements with their friends is going to be how you manage disagreements in the household. Mm -hmm. And um, and then empathizing with their feeling when they're disappointed, you know, and I think coming at it with elementary school kids is don't don't think you have to fix everything. You know, I think sometimes that's that helicopter parent, the parent who's like, my child is frustrated, I have to go down to the school and fix it. Uh, I, I think if you really test yourself and say, okay, can my child manage this on their own? And then, you know, you can give them coaching, but your coaching is always going to be consistent with your family values and your family way of managing emotions. And so we want to work on the family so that when we can send our child out with the most, the, the most, um, the strongest set of skills we can. And then we have to say, sometimes it's hard. Sometimes people struggle. Sometimes people have troubles with their feelings. What did you do? Did you tell the teacher? You know, uh, I, I'm a huge fan. I don't think it happens nearly as much as it used to. Uh, back in the day, it was not unusual if two kids were having a dispute that they might have lunch with the school counselor. And the school counselor would sort of help them do conflict resolution. I don't hear about that as much. I don't hear as much of people getting involved um, on a school level. I think we do a lot of social groups. There are things you can do, but usually we, we don't have the resources to do it until kids are having troubles, like real troubles. But somebody, when the resources are gone, some adult needs to step in and say, and if that has to be parents, that can be parents. If you have a child who has that relationship with another child, oftentimes if the parents can come together and say, let's sit our kids down and have a conversation with them. Mm -hmm. And in a, in a perfect world that works, but sometimes you find out that that other family is not a family who interacts the way that you want your kid to interact with. And then it's okay not to be friends with somebody. Yeah. That's life. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I wanna get to and maybe this goes hand in hand, but um, empathy and coaching. So, I mean, empathy, when, I, when I've been doing my research with emotional mm -hmm. intelligence, empathy seems to be a big one that, that teaches kids how to handle interpersonal skills. I mean, even from, you know, grade school through the high school level. So is that something, and, and maybe this is where the coaching comes in, is that an important one to coach your kids through? Like, is that what families should be focusing on when it comes to coaching kids through this so they can have better friendships? Sure. I think, you know, empathy often comes, it comes when kids can imagine that other people feel differently than they do, yeah. right? So that's still a struggle in preschool, certainly preschool age. It's a struggle to think that somebody could feel something that you don't feel. Like if I'm mad, you're mad, they're mad, everybody's mad. Mm -hmm. But when you get to that point in elementary school, kindergarten to elementary school, where you can begin to understand, oh, they're sad. And you can begin to understand that you did something that led to that person being sad. Mm -hmm. And the way you have to start it, and people do this often very intuitively, how would you feel? How would you feel? It allows them to begin to extend their emotional understanding. If somebody did that to you, how would you feel? Mm -hmm. And they, then they can kind of extrapolate and go, okay, if I would feel bad, then I should not do that to other people because they will then also feel bad. That's the beginning of empathy. I think we have to be careful not to teach that again to the point of self-sacrifice. Mm. 
I work with a lot of adolescents, especially adolescent girls who take on too much of that. And they're so identified with their friends that if their friend is depressed, they're depressed. Mm. You know, like they, they soak it in like a little sponge and we have to help them also find the boundary. Uh, but there's no, I mean, that's the coaching, right? Yeah, just talking them through it. Yeah. Um, I, I don't have teenagers, but I, I remember being a teenager and mm-hmm. that's a phase from what I remember, those are some big feelings. I mean, that is just, you know, if, if we're, if the kids are, are figuring it out with themselves as, as little toddlers, I feel like then they go out and, and then it's about friendships. And then I feel like high schoolers almost bring it back inside and keep their feelings inside and start to wonder, um, you know, self-esteem issues. Am I good enough? Am I, am I, do I have friends? Is, is everybody talking about me? Is, is every, I, I feel like that that's a really key point in emotional intelligence too, especially if maybe families haven't worked on it throughout childhood. So what do you do with, with teenagers? I, I feel like that could be a whole other podcast, but I mean, emotional intelligence in teenagers has to be a rough road. So the, the thing that we haven't talked about yet is how important using feeling words and being able to talk about your emotions is for emotional intelligence. Mm-hmm. We want to start young. Um, and, you know, I've seen kids as young as three years old who have parents who are very into feeling words, look at a crying infant and say, that baby's frustrated. Wow. You know, that's a complex word, right? Yep. And I think sometimes we dumb it down a little bit at, when we shouldn't. Um, and, and so there's this sense of, you know, well, we're happy, we're sad, but the more nuanced you can talk about emotions, the more you can identify, I see that you're very frustrated right now. It seems to me like you're very frustrated right now. You start that young because what's happening with teenagers, the way I picture adolescence is this. If you've ever been like in a swimming pool and you, you know, you kind of go under and use your feet and you push off from the wall and you're kind of gliding there for a minute. To me, that's, that's adolescence because you're pushing off from these attachments to become your own person. And it is both exciting and scary and lonely, so lonely. And so the reason why they're always comparing themselves to others is because as they move away from their parents, they're grabbing on to something else to belong to. So it could be a pop star. Um, it, they could identify with that. They could identify with being a vegetarian. They could identify with whatever color their best friends are wearing that day. Like there's sort of anything to feel less lonely. And the loneliness comes from this necessary emotional separation from your parents. So you get less, you, you, they talk to you less about their feelings. They talk to you less about their conflicts and they're more on their own. So obviously the more skills that they have going into adolescence, the more they're going to be able to manage it. Um, I encourage, again, we could do an entire podcast on adolescence. I, I encourage parents to keep lines of communication open. And the key with adolescence is if you're going to keep lines of communication open, be ready to hear things you don't want to hear, right? Be ready to talk about sexual feelings. Be ready to talk about who's drinking, who's smoking, who's experimenting and pushing the envelope, and that your child is also having all of these feelings and urges that make you really uncomfortable. Yeah. But, if you, yeah, but if you don't want to have the hard conversations, um, then they won't come to you. Mm-hmm. And it's better for you to be prepared and to be uncomfortable um, than it is to have your child not bring these important things 
but everything gets tossed up in adolescence because they're they're moving away and they're doing so much more of it on their own. You know, we see really well-adjusted kids go off to college in their first year, you know, they eat, they gain weight, they, they try different things, but they also, you know, that the importance of bringing your laundry home and having your parent do your laundry yeah. is a way of staying tethered yeah. emotionally. And those are the things that gives, give kids strength, right? They're always, your kids are always, no matter what age they are, they're always borrowing parts of you. Um, it just, you know, it changes sort of in tone yeah. as you get to adolescence. It almost made me cry. I, like that, that my kids will always want to be uh, be tethered somehow. Mm -hmm. We started this conversation by you saying, you know, that, that sometimes families, you know, with the developmental need to bring people in. But when when do you recognize that a kid might not be well adjusted and that you might need extra resources, no matter at what age, to help them work through these emotions or help parents mm -hmm. learn how to coach these emotions? So I know, you know, from other conversations we've had that, that, I mean, the thing that, that I do and that we do at Hannah Perkins, is we do a lot of parent guidance, parent coaching, parent guidance. And I think if parents can, there are certain sets of parents who can come to us because they know that maybe they weren't given the skills in their own family of origin and they want to do better, right? Or they want to do different with their family but you just don't magically say you're gonna handle emotions differently in your family of creation um, if you don't necessarily know what that means because you didn't learn it in your family. And so sometimes parents will come to us just asking for that kind of guidance. Like, okay, if I wanna do it differently, here's how I was taught in my childhood. This is the ramifications of that. How do I do it differently? That is a perfectly acceptable reason to get help. If you have a child whose temperament is very different than your own, and you're having a hard time understanding your child, that's also a great time to come in for parent guidance. If you have a child who has a, um, a developmental challenge that makes this emotional part more difficult, there's always help out there for that as well. How do I be more intentional about teaching a social emotional skill to my child who maybe you know, has been diagnosed on the spectrum? Um, and if your child is, if your child's worries and fears are impeding their ability to, en to enjoy life, to participate in school, to move forward developmentally to become more independent, it's time to get help. I, I prefer looking at it that way rather than diagnosing. You know, diagnosis are for insurance companies and, and choosing medications. When it comes to just asking for help, um, if your child, if you see your child suffering and they, it is significantly impeding their ability to love and to work, then it's time to, you know, it's time to ask for help. And I think, you know, I work with a lot of postpartum moms and asking for help is the hardest part because it feels like a personal failure yeah. and we have to get rid of that stigma. I, before we go, I do want to ask, I mean, because as a mom, I feel overwhelmed with what they need to be learning at, at what time and, and do, are they up on their ABCs and are they up on their math skills at this point? Um, so, so even now, emotional intelligence might seem like one more thing to pile on the plate, but is there a simple thing that parents can do to even just 
something daily that they could do to just check in and, and do a one task emotional intelligence sort of homework thing every day. No. And here's why. Okay, good. No, I'm not, I don't, I don't want to add one more thing. I don't want to add one more thing because what I, what I want to get across is that all of your interactions with your child have a component of emotional intelligence. They just do all of them do. So you don't have to do anything special. There's no flashcards, you know, there's life, there's going through and living your life. And, you know, and obviously, you know, this, cause I've said it, you know, every time we talk, is that communication, communication, communication. The more you can talk about feelings, the more you can recognize their feelings in the moment or come back afterwards. You don't have to make it a separate thing that you do. Uh, and if you can do that, then you have a child who can go into school and be emotionally neutral. And I promise, I promise parents, I really do promise parents, when learning kicks in, it's like magic. When the brain is ready, ABCs come and reading comes. Even if there's a challenge, it, you know, you can say to your kids, because that can be frustrating if you have a difficult time learning something, you know, you will get this. It is frustrating now, but it will feel so good when you put in the hard work and, and it comes to you. They will learn math. They will learn all of these things. There is no way that all of a sudden, because of this pandemic and because of the weird stuff that they've had to do for school, that they are somehow permanently behind. It, it's, that's not how their brains work. Um, Making, you know, they're capable of catching up. Um, so I, I would actually not try to do like some sort of skill set. I, I, I think just be aware of how you interact with your child on a daily basis, and then you don't have to put so much effort into it. Yeah. yeah. There we go. Thank you so much. I, I hope everybody who's been listening now realizes why I've always felt that our entire interviews need to be on air somewhere. So I really appreciate you taking the time. And as everyone can tell, we've only scratched the surface on a few topics. So we'll definitely yes. be talking with you again. So thank you to everybody for tuning in to our very first Mom Squad pod. Life is crazy, parenthood is messy, but hopefully we made it a little easier today. Just remember there is no perfect parent. There's only just good enough. Good enough does the job. I feel like we need to put that on a t-shirt. Yeah, it is a quote. It is a quote from, from a psychologist. Yeah. All right, Kim, thank you so much. And thank you for everyone for tuning in. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to Mom Squad Pod with Maureen Kyle from WKYC Studios. Subscribe now so you never miss an update. And find more on everything you heard here on WKYC.com and on the WKYC app.